Okay, get your word out, whether you got it in print or you got it online, whichever. You want to go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Lord Jesus, you've got a word for us today. And I'm asking you to empower me to preach your word. Holy Spirit, I yield to you my mind, my tongue, my whole being. Empower me to preach the word, and may it be spirit. May the word be spirit, and may it be life. Bring faith to the hearts, Lord. May the word of God be that sharp scalpel that discerns between the thoughts and intents of the heart, between the carnal and the spiritual. Holy Spirit, Jesus promised that you would guide us to all truth and that you would teach us all that he has spoken. I remind you of that, and I cry for that right now, Holy Spirit, and I know you're answering our prayer, and I give you praise in Jesus' name. Yeah, I hear a resounding amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Jesus shared a very significant teaching with his disciples that is recorded in a, in a short verse, but a very important verse in John chapter 14, verse 6. And you're going to know it well if you've been around church very much. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you say it with me? It's on the screen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but through me. Now, this little verse carries three critical points that are absolutely true. One, there's not many ways to God. There's not many paths to God. There's only one path, only one way to God. Second, that there is an absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. And Jesus is the very embodiment of that truth. And the third was Jesus Christ is the only way to Almighty God. Jesus Christ is the only way to Almighty God. People say, well, that's, that's really exclusive. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, but what about Muhammad? What about Buddha? What about Confucius? What about all these other religious leaders? They're all leaders. Let me preach the sermon. They're all, they're all people that claim but only one rose from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sits at the right hand of the Father forever. And when he says, I am the way, no one cometh unto the Father but by me, that's absolute truth. Amen? Amen? Now, what's interesting is before he gave this teaching, about three years before he gave this teaching, He had given another teaching 
where he said to his disciples, there is a record of truth that my disciples are to build their life upon. And when they do that, it will become protection and strength to them when they go through the storms of life because you will go through the storms of life. You will go through adversity. You will have hardships. We live in a fallen world. We studied this last week. We live in a fallen world because we live in a fallen world. Evil things happen and evil things happen even to godly people, to born-again people. And she, but Jesus said, when you build your life upon this record of truth, it will become a strength to you, and it will become a source of life for you. Look at how he said it. It's found for us in Matthew chapter 7. I think we've got it on the screen. Let's read it together. Would you join me? Therefore, whoever hears... I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't hear you. Would, would you join me as we read it together? Here we go. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to the wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Look what he said. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. It's not just hearing it. It's not just going to church. We're supposed to go to church, by the way. Okay, that's a command. Going to church is not optional equipment for the child of God. There are people who say, well, I love God, and I'm serving God in my own way. Let me tell you, that's not going to work real well for you. Because there's going to come a day you're going to have to answer to him of why you didn't do it his way. He prescribed his way. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Amen? But can I stop right here a second? It's also incumbent upon the church and the leaders of the church to make sure they are teaching and preaching the true word of God without compromise. It's not enough just to give, you know, a sermonette that's a positive thinking message and, you know, we got to preach the word. Come on, amen? amen. That's incumbent. So it goes both ways. It doesn't help to faithfully go to a church if they don't teach and preach the true word of God. Amen? Amen. Or they only go, you know, about that deep. We got to teach the word. Come on, amen? Because Jesus said, when you do and you build your house on it, then when the storms of life come, you're going to stand. You're going to have strength. You're going to have the fiber within you spiritually to stand and the storm won't crush you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. King Solomon wrote another word that is really, really important. He was writing it actually to his kids. Now, unfortunately, his kids didn't listen to it, just like most people down through history didn't listen to it, but it's still there. I'm sorry, my pad went off. And uh, when... When he gave this word, 
to his children, it was critical for them that they have it. And I want to share it with you. And it is found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, when he said, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the issues of life. Out of it flows the issues of life. But look, look at the words. Look at the words. Keep your heart. Literally in the Hebrew, it is guard, protect, watch over. Guard, protect, watch over your heart. But then he said, and do it with all diligence. Don't be casual about it. But be consistent, be faithful, be detailed. In other words, it takes work and attention. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. And another place he wrote to his kids and he said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, what you allow to traffic in your heart is what you will be. What you allow to traffic in your heart is what you will be. What you allow in through your eye gate, your ear gate, what you allow through your association, that's what you will become. If you hang around negative people long enough, you will begin seeing the glass half empty. You'll walk into a room and smell flowers and want to know who died. <laughs> Guard your heart with all diligence. And the reason is because the devil... And the world will want to traffic in your heart so they can make you captive to their darkness, captive to their ideology, to their philosophies, to their way of life. And God wants you to build your life on his truth so you can live by a godly worldview, not a postmodern worldview. There are very evil people that want to traffic in your heart because they want to convince you of a world philosophy that will be anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-righteousness. And because the devil has that kind of trafficking out there, Almighty God said, guard your heart. Winston Churchill Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Stalin had a meeting in Tehran in November of 1943. During that meeting in Tehran, Winston Churchill made a comment to Stalin that has become very famous. Would you read it with me, please? This was his comment to Stalin. In wartime... Truth is so precious that she should be always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. 
One more time, because I messed it up. In wartime, truth is so precious that she should always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. Now, some think that Churchill made this statement to Stalin because under the communist Marxist regime in the Soviet Union, truth was being hidden by a bodyguard of lies. Others thought he was referring to action that was beginning to take place at that moment in Great Britain in preparation for Operation Warlord, what we would know as D-Day. And what they were doing is they were making tanks out of plywood. They were making other armament that were actually inflatables. And they were putting them all over Great Britain to try and convince the Nazi spy machine of the strength and the armor that was, that was mounting up. And so they were making a bodyguard of lies around the truth of what they were going to be doing with Operation Warlord because they were actually positioning those in such a way that it was going to convince the Nazi forces that they were actually coming from a completely different direction. Okay? In other words, the enemy loves to use the very same systems that fabulous, great magicians use, not musicians, magicians use, and that is the sleight of hand, right? Watch what I'm doing over here while I'm doing something else over here. Okay? And that, the enemy loves to do that. And what the enemy would love to do in your heart is he wants to traffic in your heart with lies and deception and distortion to keep you from seeing and believing the truth. Why? Because of what Jesus said in another portion of Scripture in John chapter 8, a critical portion of Scripture for your life. Jesus said, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In other words, to claim discipleship, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but you don't abide in his word, that is not accurate. A disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't just casually read God's word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then are you my disciples. Abide. What does that mean? Well, in simple terms, the word abide is the difference between a house and a home. A house is not necessarily a home. I know couples that own a house, but they're almost never there. And when they are there, they're not really 
living there. It's just a place to change clothes and that kind of thing. Jesus isn't talking about that. But that's the way too many of those who are claiming discipleship with Jesus Christ are with God's word. They visit the word once in a while. And Jesus is saying, that is not what's going to make you free. What's going to make you real free is when you make my word your home. You take up residence there. You live there. You make it. That is how you live life. Your life is in my word. Amen. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. So it not only gives you the strength and the fiber to be able to endure the storms of life, God's word enables you to live free. Amen. Live free. Truth. Truth. But there's a very real enemy that loves to give you lies and deception and call it truth. Postmodern, they want to say truth is whatever you make it to be in your life. Whatever you decide to, well, it's what you believe. Well, that's your truth, but it's not necessarily my truth. See? They're wanting to rewrite moral truth so that it will accommodate the LGBTQ agenda. So they want you to believe that someone really can be born in a male body, but because that person feels like they're female, well, then they are. That's a, that's a new truth. They're rewriting moral truth. They're, they, they, are, they are making history now not an accurate record of what has been documented from history, but they're now making history an indoctrination of the new agenda, the new ideology, the new philosophy. And so history may not be what actually went on, it's what they feel and think and what you want you to believe went on. Let me tell you about a Young lady, I call her young because she's younger than me. <laughs> my whole pad just changed my sermon for me. Am I supposed to be preaching to you from Revelation today? <laughs> I'm sorry, while I was talking to you, I think I hit the wrong button. <clears throat> Please excuse me. There's a young lady who is an editor for the New York Times, and she has written what is called the 1619 Project. How many have heard of that? The 1619 Project. May I see your hand? A handful of you. Most have not. Well, what it is, is it is a rewrite. They picked the, they picked the date 1619, 
because that is when the first slaves landed on North American shores from Africa. I did not say that is when the first slaves came to America. They want you to believe that. They are completely discarding what had been going on for centuries in North America between the Native American nations when they would war against one another and take each other captive and make them slaves. Slavery was here in North America, Central America, South America, centuries before Europeans landed here. But see, that's being completely ignored because there's a rewrite of history for a particular agenda. And what is interesting is this young lady, she received a Pulitzer Prize for her writing. Nicole Hannah-Jones is her name. However, what has not been widely broadcast is that before she wrote the 1619 Project, some years before, in another editorial, she wrote, white people are bloodsuckers and barbaric devils. Think there might be an agenda behind her? her? Of course there is. And, and it's all connected with this whole thing that's going on with Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter developed a school curriculum that began to, began to enter into our school systems in 2017. Now, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to talk with our school board here to find out if it's a part of our curriculum here. But I do know that it's, it's in many of the school districts across the nation. Black Lives Matter. Okay? Well, what, what does Black Lives Matter believe? What they want you to believe, it's all about, it's about, uh, about freeing the black people from the, the, the things that have been pressed upon them and the injustices that have been done to them. That, is that accurate? Let's look at the truth. And the only way you can really get to the truth is let's go to their own writings. Let's go to Black Lives Matter website and let's see what it says about them. So we're going to look at some quotes first from the three founders of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Kahn Collars. This is, this is what, what the website says about her. An artist, an organizer, freedom fighter from Los Angeles, California. However, in an interview that she did June 25th of this year with your own Steinbeck of the New York Post, she said, the first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Myself and Alicia, Alicia is Alicia Garza, we're going to look at it in a minute. Alicia in particular are trained organizers. We are trained Marxists. So she openly admits we had an ideological agenda when we founded Black Lives Matter. We are trained Marxists. She was trained at Underground Weather. Bill Ayers was her mentor. Yes, that same Bill Ayers that was a mentor to Barack Obama. Barack Obama was trained in community organizing in his house. A Marxist. 
Hmm. What about Alicia Garza? Alicia Garza, this is what their website, blacklivesmatter.com, says about Alicia Garza. An Oakland-based organizer, writer, public speaker, freedom dreamer, most important as a queer black woman, challenge the misconception that only cisgender black men encounter police and state violence. Cis, what is cisgender? Cisgender is a reference to a man or a woman who believe their identity is what they were born with. I was born with a male body, so I'm a man. I was born with a female body, so I'm a woman. That's cisgender, as opposed to transgender. And so this young lady, she is committed to, I'm a queer black woman, and I want to challenge this misconception. She has an agenda. She's not only a Marxist, she has an agenda to challenge God's design. Let's go to the third one. This is Opal Tometi, and it's a New York-based Nigerian-American, interesting, not just American, she's a Nigerian-American, writer, strategist, community organizer, currently at the helm of the country's leading black organization for immigrant rights. A transnational feminist. What is that, a transnational feminist? Transnational feminism is a global network towards feminist agenda, but completely committed, committed to critical theory. What is critical theory? We talked about that about four weeks ago. Critical theory and intersectionality. Critical theory was developed in a Marxist university in Frankfurt, Germany, before World War II. Critical theory is a Marxist ideology. So she is not only feminist, she's Marxist. Has been active in social movements for a decade. She is a student of liberation theology. What is that? Liberation theology was developed in, in uh, Central America. I have the name of the man. He, he was a Roman Catholic priest and theologian that developed liberation theology. Liberation theology is rooted in, com, in, in communalism. It is rooted in Marxism. It is, a, it is a mixture, it is a syncretism of the Scripture and Marxism that says you can only truly understand the Bible if you are poor. I didn't come up with this stuff. I'm just telling you, how many are seeing the lies that are becoming the bodyguard keeping people away from seeing the truth? Why are you doing this, Pastor? Because you are hearing this every single day in the media. It is being pounded every day in the media. 
and your children, your grandchildren, they are being trained in this in the educational system. Our educational system is no longer about the three R's, reading and writing and arithmetic, okay, that I heard about when I was a kid growing up and that maybe you heard about. It is now totally committed to indoctrination. It started about 60 years ago. And it has continued. In 1933, the Humanist Manifesto targeted what we're seeing right now. In 1973, when they updated the Humanist Manifesto, it was even more so. The 1973 version said that all children come into the school system brainwashed and mentally deficient because of the training of their parents and we must indoctrinate them. And that is what it's doing. That's why I'm covering this. Because we have a truth. And the truth can make people free. She is a student of liberation theology and her practice is in the tradition of Ella Baker. Ella Baker was one of the leading organizers and leaders of the, uh, uh, and trained, she helped train Martin Luther King Jr. and others that were in that movement at that time. She was committed to socialist Marxist ideology, and she hated capitalism. Now, these are the three founders of Black Lives Matter. But what does their website say about them? Let's look at it. Let's read it together. Black, go ahead and do the next slide for me. We are, this is the opening statement on their website from what we believe. We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter, regardless of the actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs, or disbeliefs, immigration status, or location. Well, we can all pretty well agree with that. Here at Living Faith Church, we love everyone. We, we embrace everyone, regardless of their orientation, regardless of their religious background, regardless of their race, color, or creed. We love them, we honor them, respect them as human beings. I have no problem with that. Amen. But look at the next slide. They didn't stop there. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folks, especially black trans women. Keep going. We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, in, and environments in which men are centered. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so that they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. Right here they're saying is, uh, we, want them to, we want the government to support them. We'll just keep going. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Requirements by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. We foster a queer affirming network. Next one. We, when we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. 
unless he or she, they disclose otherwise. You hear what they're saying? First of all, they're saying we're Marxist. Then they're saying we are going to completely dismantle the God-designed order of human sexuality. Then they're saying we're going to totally disrupt and tear down the biblical model of family. Father, mother, children. Folks, there, there is a reason that 80% of those in prison came from a fatherless home. God designed the father to be the leader in the home because that's what works best. And listen, when you study, when you study those who are writing about it and are honest, that's a little tricky. They will tell you the families that work best have the biological father in the home and those children are raised in a religious environment. See, what the media is telling you is it is building a bodyguard of lies while they are introducing into our school system, our education system, Oprah Winfrey and Lionsgate right now are working on a manuscript to make a movie based on the 1619 Project. And they want to get it in the schools. Black Lives Matters are in the school pushing Marxism. They are not there to do what they say they're doing. This is the truth. This is right from their own website. Now we know their true agenda. See, we've, we've got to know the truth because the truth will make us free. But the only way we can do that is we have got to go back to that to that record, that body, that instrument of truth that is absolutely infallible, inerrant, unchanging. Psalm 119, verse 87 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. See, the word of God, the Holy Bible, it's transgenerational, it is transcultural. It is God's word that fits in all cultures. Whether you want to talk about an Asian culture, a Hispanic culture, a black culture, a European culture, a North American culture, a Central American culture, a South American culture, whether you want to talk about the 1800s, the 1900s, or the second millennium. God's word is the absolute, infallible, unerrant, unchanging, absolutely always true word of God. And it's got to be taught without compromise, without apology. 
Because it is that word that will bring you the truth that will set you free. It is that word that will bring you the truth that will put strength and fiber into your life so you can stand in this storm. But the truth is, 75 to 80% of the people that are in church on a Sunday or are listening to a Christian broadcast on Sunday never open the Bible from Sunday to Sunday. It's gathering dust on their bookshelf. Or it sits in their tablet, (laughs) never opened. Got to get up to date. <laughs> a little tricky when I'm preaching in my sixth decade. We started preaching in the 60s. And what's interesting is as I look back over each decade, each decade had its only really unique, and I kind of had to adjust to each decade. You don't change the message. Message hadn't changed, folks. Let me tell you something. From the time I started preaching when I was 19 years old to right now, the word hasn't changed. The way I communicate has changed. I started using a blackboard with chalk. <laughs> then I was one of the really early ones that got really cool. I went to an overhead projector. Then I really got modern. I was one of the very, very first ones that went to a data projector. That data projector was like that. Had to have some heavy change to hang it from the ceiling. Had to make sure it was in a really good solid beam. But it was so cool. One of the first sermons I preached with that was on spiritual warfare. And show, I, 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 I showed a little film clip from The Wizard of Oz. It was so cool. (laughs) You know what scene I showed? They're trying to figure out how come they can't get the Wizard of Oz to listen to them. And Tojo goes over and he pulls the curtain back. And they see him running the levers. And they realize... They're believing a lie. I'm wanting to pull the curtain back on your brain and your heart so you can see how Satan's pulling the levers to get you to believe a lie. And here's why. This is why it's so important. It's so important because Scripture says that there's coming a day When there's going to come this man that in the Old Testament, he's called the little horn. He's also called the Assyrian by Isaiah and Micah. In the New Testament, he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition. He's called the beast. Most people know him as the Antichrist. And he's going to come with signs and wonders and deceiving words, lies, But here's what it says. It says the people are subjected to him and they follow him because they did not love the truth. 
Most correctly, it says they did not receive the love of the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. And it says, for this reason, God gave them over to delusion. They went from lies to deceptions to distortion to delusion. And we are watching that happen in our culture. We began believing the lie, evolution. Then we begin stepping into deception. They begin to tell us how that, well, you know, it, it, there was just so many big bangs, enough big bangs, enough big bangs, and finally there was this big bang that made the earth, and, 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 and mankind was, this, was in this goo and ooze. But he began to grow legs, and he walked out of that goo and ooze, and as he walked out of that, he, 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 his tail shrunk, and then he began to move from having fins and scales to having hair, and he began swinging in trees. You know the nonsense. Lies to deception, distortion. You can actually have a female body but be a male. To delusion. Truth is what you feel. Delusion. Delusion. The sad part is it's beginning to creep under the doors and through the windows into the house of God. Delusion. Well, I better hurry up with this sermon or you and I are going to be having lunch delivered in. Let me, I, I, I got to show you something very, very important that Jesus went to. Would, would you please go to, I think it might be three, I know I got you completely off, so it's not your fault, it's me. Go about three, go keep going, keep going right there. Oh, oh go back one. Right there. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 13, three to seven. You wondered when I was going to get to Matthew 13, didn't you? We're there. We don't have long to be there, but we're there. Jesus talked about the heart. Now, this parable is usually called the, the parable of the sower. That's how, that's how it's almost taught, it's been taught for decades and decades. But when you study it, you realize it's not about the sower. It's about the heart. It's about the heart, the receptivity of the heart. And he says, we got three problems. When the seed of the word of God is sown, it, will, it, it, it falls on hard places, it falls on stony places, it falls on weedy places. And those create a problem. Because when the seed of God's word lands on a hard place, a well-traveled path, You've come through your education years, your education system, and through those years, you have believed portions of the lie. Even as a born-again child of God, you've believed portions of the lie. And it's well-traveled. 
And maybe it's so well-traveled, it's completely beaten down. And, and, and now you're completely engrossed in the lie. And you're listening to the progressive talking heads, or you're listening to the conservative talking heads, and you just listen to them, and they go over and over and over, and you're listening, and it's just beating that path down hard. And when the word of God falls, it just sits there on top. And the enemy comes and steals it because it can't take root. It cannot habitate there because there's no entrance. The door is locked. The door is locked. It can't habitate there. Wow. Problem. Then there are those that, well, you know, the door's not locked. You can get inside, but most of the rooms are shut tight. And they receive the word of God. It, 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 it receives, and it even takes root. It starts to live there. It starts to live there. But there are stony places that will not allow the roots to go deep. And it's kind of like when you, you live in a house and you, you, you're there, but you're not permitted to go to that room. You're not permitted to go to this room. Actually, you're just a guest. You don't really live there. You don't have full access to that. You're just a guest. And for way too many Christians, the word of God's just a guest in your heart. It can't take root. And the reason it can't take root is because the one that lives there or someone from the past that has hurt you and wounded you. And you're carrying that rock of bitterness. And so the word of God can only be a guest for a short time. And soon the heat and the pressure of life will wither it and it will die because it's just a guest. It can't live there because you've got it shut out because of unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. People that have hurt you, people that have wounded you. I I cannot tell you how many times, I mean, literally, it's not an exaggeration, Thousands of times. People said to me, well, you know, I don't, I don't go to church because I, I, I used to go to church, but I got hurt there. They wounded me. Well, hello. Do you live in a family? Does the family hurt you? I wish I could tell you in the 50 years my bride and I have lived together, I've never hurt her. That would be a huge lie. Okay, You know what I'm saying? We live in human relationships. How many here are perfect? May I please see your hand? All the perfect people, raise your hand for me. Douglas, you put that hand down. (laughs) You just blew it, brother, right there. (laughs) Uh, No, we're not perfect, so we get hurt. We get wounded. You're, you're liable to get hurt and wounded at church because you're, you're amongst a bunch of human beings. We're born again. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We have our spiritual language. We love Jesus with all our heart. But we ain't perfect yet, baby. So you get hurt. What do you do with it? You wash it out. You don't let it stay there. You don't let it fester. You just go, bless their hearts. You know, they can't help it. <laughs> Come on. 
There are other things that create stones in our heart. Other things. We got to get the stones out. We got we to gotta get our heart opened fully so God can be welcomed. Here's the next one. And that is, that we, we, okay, we get the stones out. We get those stones out, praise God. We, we, uh, the, and so the seed falls in. It begins to take root. It's starting to grow. And man, it's starting to grow. And even some of the fruit's starting to come on. You're getting more love. You're getting more joy. You're getting more peace. You're a little more gentle. But then... The cares of life we, we carry, we, we, we are so concerned, we're so frustrated, we have so much anxiety, we wrestle with depression, we wrestle with discouragement, we, we, we wrestle with, well, we got so many toys, we're so busy, pastor, we're just so busy, well, you know, I only get, I only get so many days off, and I want to go this, I want to do that, and we have so many things, we do not have enough room in our heart for Jesus and the Word of God to really grow and take life because we're so distracted. We have so many things. The worldly cares are choking out the life of the Word of God. What do we do with all this? Well, I want to ask you a question. And those that are worshiping with me online, I want to ask you, you deal with this in your heart honestly. Have you seen yourself? Are you one of these three? Maybe a little portion of all three? Do you see yourself here? What do we do with it? Well, thank God there's a solution. Go to the next slide for me. Go to the next slide for me. We got to fall in love with truth. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. You got to love the word of God. You got to fall in love with the word of God. But falling in love with the word of God is learning how to love asparagus. Learning how to love cauliflower. I haven't got to Brussels sprouts yet. I can't do that one yet. Got to learn how to, how do you learn how to love that stuff? Anybody remember as a kid you hated that stuff? If, I remember I, when, our, when our kids were little, the first time we introduced them to, to veggies, we put it in their mouth and they spit it right back out. That is Ain't no place for that. No way, baby. How many parents started mixing a little bit of fruit with a little bit of veggies? How many remember? How many, how many remember what makes medicine go down? A spoonful of sugar. You got it. How do we learn to love the Word of God? You got to read it. And 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 you got to let it read you. You got to read it and you got to let it read you. 
and you begin discovering. When you begin reading it to the point and you, you stop, this is how every time I open my Bible. Now, I, I use, I got my old red Bible that I've had for almost 30 years that pages are loose and stuff, but it's, it's got so many notes in it, I just can't. I actually retired it about a year ago, and I couldn't stand it. I went back to it. And I lay my hands on it. I said, God, this is your word. Talk to me today. I want to hear you speaking to me. Because the Holy Bible is called the word. the word of God. If it's the Word of God, it wants to talk to you. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Well, if it's living and powerful, then it wants to talk to you. Come on. So you pray, God, talk to me. And you read and when it starts talking to you, when it starts reading you and talking to you, you read it. When something stands out, stop. Don't run by it. Let it talk to you. Let it talk to you. What's it saying? What, what's it saying? What's it trying to get across to you? Make a note. Put a date down there. Let it talk to you. Then read a little bit more. Let it talk to you. Once a couple of things stand out to you, don't go anymore that day. Meditate on those two things. Met on thy, I love thy word. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. Let it talk to you. I want to come back next week. And I want to, give you specific step-by-step how to guard your heart with all diligence, how to protect yourself from the lie, the deception, the distortion, the delusion. How to do that. Would you stand with me, please? If you're online worshiping with me right now, would you, would you pause would you put your hand over your heart? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and listen very, very carefully what I'm about to say. See, the greatest truth that you face is this. You are an eternal being. You are not just a cellular mass on the way to the fertilizer pile. Amen. <laughs> you are an eternal being. You will spend eternity somewhere. The question is not, will you live eternally? The question is, where will you live eternally? See, that's the question. Those that are listening to me online right now, that's the major question of your life. Where will you live eternally? You will live eternally. Where? Jesus himself talked about the fact that one place is the place he's prepared for us. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. That's one place you can spend eternity. But he also talked about the other place. And he called it hell. He called it the fiery part of hell. Because you see, one day, God's going to call you before his great white throne, and he's going to look and see if your name is in the book of life. If your name's in the book of life, you're not at the great white throne judgment. You're with Jesus. But if your name is not 
in the book of life. You're kneeling before him, and you're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire forever and ever. But God doesn't want you there. God's not willing any should perish. And so the truth is that though you're going to spend eternity somewhere, God wants you to spend it with him. And so he made this amazing provision through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a very important question right now. Those of you online and those of you that are worshiping with me here, do you know for certain you're going to spend eternity with Jesus? Have you repented of your sin, asked him to forgive you, and asked Jesus to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life? Do you know that for certain? If not, don't leave here today without knowing for certain. Those of you listening online, do you know that for certain? If not, you can. And here's how. In a moment, I'm going to pray with folks to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want you to pray that prayer with me. And then in the comments section, just write the comment, I prayed and receive Jesus. Or you can just say, receive Jesus. Receive Jesus. I've got some discipleship material I'd like to send you this week. So put that in there, that comment. I received Jesus. Because I want to I share some discipleship material with you. Those of you here in the room with me right now, I'm going to ask you, if you would say, Pastor Dean, I don't know for certain, but I want to know for certain. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge to you, I am not ready for eternity, but I want to be ready to spend eternity with you. Lord Jesus Christ, I open my heart to you. Forgive me of my sin. I confess all my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me I ask you to wash my heart. I ask you, Jesus, come live in my heart. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I receive you now. I receive you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Go ahead, give God a praise.